0: Hey there, and welcome to the United Church Podcast. We are a new church here in Seattle committed to an ethic of love. We are striving to be a people united, united with Jesus, each other, ourselves, and the world around us. We hope you enjoyed this week's homily. We have uh, a, a little few things to celebrate. We have some new life. Uh, new babies are abounding within our community, which is awesome. Some are due within days and weeks, <laughs> so we have babies abounding everywhere, and so it's 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 exciting and it's beautiful and it's wonderful. It's a new it's a new quarter for many of our college students and our graduate students. Uh, I think it's semester for some of them, quarter for others. Schools just need to figure that out. Also, we have a, a professional athlete in our midst. Congratulations to Miss Kristen Curran making the Rat City Rollers. Hey. <laughs> the roller derby is alive and well in Kristin Curran. So it's really exciting. We have so much to celebrate, so many beautiful and wonderful things that are happening in the midst of our community. And I'm just glad to celebrate that and share that with you as we usher in 2019 with our new series, Manifesto. Why do we do what we do? Who are we as a church? What is it that we are digging into? What is it that we are trying to become? What is it that we hope to be? Manifesto. When I was a kid, I spent a lot of time uh, doing all sorts of different things. But uh, this past month, back in early December, I got the opportunity to go to my parents' place and hang out with them and my brother and spend time looking through old photographs, right? Like, you ever, you ever do that, go to, back to your parents' place and, and begin to look for old photographs? So I found the best one of myself <laughs> to share. The best one. Not the craziest ones, not the terrible ones, but the best ones, right? This is, this is about, I was about five or six years old in this, and I had just started going to this thing on Wednesday nights called Awana. I was a sparky, right? So you would, you would show up every Wednesday night at church, and you would put on this red vest, right? And it was like the coolest thing in the world. You got the red vest, and you would get these like little patches. It was kind of like Cub Scouts for church, although I was also in Cub Scouts, didn't really, you know, I was in both, but you would wear this, you have these little patches, but then you had these little crowns that were like pins to the side and you would fill it with different colored jewels. And the jewels represented the amount of memory verses that you would like memorize over the course of time. And the very first one that you ever had to memorize was not the easiest, Jesus wept, That was not the first one you had to memorize. It was John 3, 16. And I I memorized it in the King James because we went to a, a, a pretty fundamentalist Baptist church growing up. It was, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It's like one of the most famous Bible verses that there is, right? It's the guy that sits in the end zone with the neon sign and the rainbow hair with John 3.16. It's the guy that parachutes down onto a field as like a, like a, a Bible protest, right? Have you seen this? Like he, he parachuted down onto the field with a John 3.16 sign attached to his chest, right? Like it's the most famous, perhaps most well-known Bible verse that there is. And that was the very first one that I got to memorize is this little kid doing this thing. As I grew up and as I grew older, I started to like, develop this sense of shame about my church heritage. The fact that I had grown up in the church, the fact that I had been a part of the church my entire life, that I didn't have one of these like, beautiful or amazing or remarkable or even miraculous conversion stories. My conversion story was really simple. My my process to becoming a Christian was simple. I was born in the church, was there like the second or third Sunday that I was alive. And then the next Sunday night, and then the Wednesday night, and then the Sunday morning, and the Sunday night, and the Wednesday night. Like it was over and over and over all throughout my life. I was just a part of the church. I didn't have that miraculous story and as I got to know more people in their stories, as I got to hear the beauty of what God had done in and through their lives, of how, how God has, had like wrapped his love around them in such a way that they just couldn't quite escape from it, that there was nothing that they could do but say, okay, I've got this, like I, I believe in this Jesus. I didn't have that, and as As I saw more and more of that develop, I started to develop this sense of shame. This sense of like, I just want to kind of hide away that part of my life. The fact that I I grew up in the church. That I was a part of the church. That my very first concert as a kid was going to a Christian concert with Michael W. Smith. Because friends are friends forever if the Lord's the Lord of them, right? So, like, it's this really strange sort of subculture that I grew up in with the church, and there was this sense of shame that developed, and it took me a long time to kind of eschew that, to kind of push that away and say, no, 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 this is actually an okay thing. It's actually an okay thing that I grew up in the church. It's actually quite a beautiful thing because that was my process, That was what I experienced and how I got to experience the love and the grace and the joy and the beauty of who God is. That was my process. And I want to hold on to that and I want to honor that. It's like a beautiful thing. And as a church, we want to do the same thing for everyone. We want to be a church that is for you. We want to be a church that says, no, 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 we believe in you. We believe in your Process. We believe in your process because we believe that everyone is on a journey to understand who God is, our own identity at its core, the intricacies of relationship with one another, and our own place in this world. We believe in your process no matter what it looks like, no matter where it has developed, no matter how it has come to be. We believe in your process and we want to foster that here. Whatever that means, whether you still are far, far, far away from ever understanding or knowing who this God is. It's like, I just, I, I don't know, I'm just here. I'm here because I like people here. I'm, I'm here because I'm, you know, I, I, I have fun at some of the parties that we throw and the things that we do as a community. I'm, I'm just here. Or... If you've been a longtime Christian, you're still in process of understanding who this God is, even if you're a new Christian, somebody that's just recently decided that they want to give their life to Christ and be baptized, like we believe in your process. And not only do we believe in it, we want to hold it. We want to hold it tenderly. We want to hold it gently. We want to show it love and care and grace. And mercy, we want to walk alongside you and with you in this process, in your process. This isn't anything new. This idea of your process of like holding it tightly or, or holding it gently and tenderly with one another. It's not a new thing. It's it's actually something that we find in the pages of Scripture in John chapter three. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That same verse comes from a longer chapter in John chapter three where Jesus meets with this guy called Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus is a really fascinating character because he was a part of like the religious establishment. He was a Pharisee, he was like a leader in the law. He was somebody that not only like knew a lot of things about the scriptures and knew a lot of things about God and knew how you were supposed to interact in society, but Nicodemus actually had a lot of power as a person. He was a part of a council of people that was able to pass judgment on others within the community on others that also were, were Jewish and were a part of Israel. Nicodemus held power. He was a, a powerful individual, a powerful person. And here is Nicodemus in John chapter 3 coming to Jesus in the middle of the night. Maybe not the middle of the night, but at night. He's coming to Jesus at nighttime. And when I first heard this story as a kid, it was always told to me that like Nicodemus came to meet Jesus in a back alley. In the middle, like, super late at night, when, like, nobody else would go out. Here comes Nicodemus, kind of like, where's this Jesus? There he is, okay. And, and, like, Jesus, come here. And, you know, like, this back alley sort of deal where they're hanging out in the shadows and in the corners talking to each other in hushed tones so that nobody would hear them because it was really dangerous what Nicodemus was doing, Right? Like this was the, the way in which the story was depicted to me. And, and I always thought of like this Nicodemus as like this guy that was like, oh, he's sly, he's slick, all right. And not only that, but he asked really good questions of Jesus. And the conversation was really beautiful and amazing. But I don't think that's actually probably really accurate. Like this middle-of-the-night rendezvous in a back alley with Jesus. Mainly because I'm not sure how that would actually happen. Like, right, Nicodemus in the middle of a crowd... Jesus, 12 o'clock, the hour behind the dumpster. We got this, right? And then just walks away. I don't think that's probably what happened. I think more than likely Nicodemus was like, hey, Jesus, I got some questions for you. Can we hang out over dinner? Can we hang out over a cup of tea? Can we sit down and enjoy each other's company? Because I got some questions. This wouldn't have been something that was that was super seedy or super, like, just like, uh, 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 a covert or undercover. I don't think that's what's going on here. I think Nicodemus had some legitimate questions for Jesus, and as a teacher of the law, trying to understand who this Jesus was, was like, hey, I'm going to meet with this man because I have power, I have authority, I have the ability to do these things, and nobody's going to look at me twice. And what's really fascinating is that this comes right after Jesus clears the temple Jesus had just walked into the temple and destroyed, like, tables and overturned money changers and, like, made this huge ruckus of a scene in Jerusalem. And so for Nicodemus to be like, hey, uh, can we talk? <laughs> Wouldn't have been out of the question. And so I see this conversation with Jesus happening perhaps over some some tapas, right? So like some like a small meal or or perhaps some tea, just reclining and sitting and having a long, drawn out conversation because the text here, John chapter three, these these twenty three verses are not, like it's it's a long, long bit of dialogue, which makes me believe and and want to think that what is actually happening here, what John, the author of this gospel, is recording, is actually a much, he's just kind of synthesized an entire conversation into a few verses. A much longer evening that perhaps Jesus and Nicodemus were hanging out until all hours of the night, talking and conversing and having disagreements over scripture. Because you see, this isn't actually a really rare thing. I have a few friends that are rabbis that will get together over dinner... And they will literally spend the whole night together laughing and arguing and having discussion. Where they get together at like 7 p.m. and no one leaves until 3 in the morning. And the reason why is because they're, they're discussing what scripture has to say about who God is and what is happening in these stories and in these places. And I think... That's what Nicodemus was used to. That's what Jesus was used to. And these two together get together for this epic sort of conversation. And Nicodemus asks the question. He comes and he says, who are you? (laughs) His very first question of Jesus is really, who are you? He says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Who are you? Like, what is your role? What is this thing that you're doing? And immediately, Nicodemus is starting his process of trying to understand who Jesus is. Who are you? What are you doing? Like, you just destroyed things in the temple, like overturned some of our traditions. But yet, you've also done like these miracles Like The first recorded miracle happens just before he clears the temple in John chapter 2, where he turns water into wine. And then after he clears the temple, he does some more miracles. And so word is getting out about who this Jesus is, and Nicodemus is scratching his head, trying to figure it out. And Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now Nicodemus has like this great, great response. And I Like, oftentimes we're really reticent to read sarcasm into Scripture, but I think Nicodemus is really sarcastic with Jesus here because his response is, how can someone be born when they are old, right? And then he gets even more sarcastic when he says, surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born, Jesus, what are you talking about, right? Like, uh, and for those of you that are new mothers, you're like, yeah, I don't want to put that baby back in there. And for those of you that are about to evacuate a child, you're like, yeah, the inn is closed, <laughs> right? Like, no more. You're not allowed in this space. Not even to think that, like, me, a 39-year-old man crawling back up into my mother's womb sounds really gross and disgusting, right? Like, that's just, that's off-limits, right? That's just like... No, thank you. No, thank you. No, thank you. But here's Nicodemus making that point, making that argument, like, Jesus, you're not making much sense here. You're kind of a crazy man, all of a sudden, talking about this being born again. How on earth does this happen? And Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases, you hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus is like, What? He says, How can this be? Right? Nicodemus is this really, really smart, educated rabbi, he's a leader of scripture. He's a leader within the movement of God's people in Israel. And he looks at Jesus like, "You have done flipped your lid. What on earth are you talking about? I am super confused." And Jesus continues. He says, "You're Israel's teacher." <laughs> right? Like Jesus pushes it back on him. Figure this out. You've got this. He trusts and he believes in Nicodemus. He trusts and believes in Nicodemus's process. You're Israel's teacher. You got this. Figure this out. He said, And you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then? Will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Jesus finishes out this sort of diatribe with, with Nicodemus of like, look, like some things are going to happen that are going to blow your mind. I'm actually going to be lifted up much like this, that, that Moses lifted this staff up in the middle of the desert. This thing that everyone will look to and, and see as the clear sign and way of God. I am that person. I am that individual. I am that. And Nicodemus Kind of is just a little confused. And then we get to verse 16. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. Now, these are not the words of Jesus. This is John writing this. John, in summation of all of this conversation that Jesus and Nicodemus are having, says, look, you're going to go through this process. You're going to have this experience like Nicodemus had. You're going to experience this God in different ways, in different shapes, in different forms. But what you really need to know above all is that God loves you. God loved the world so much that he sent this Jesus into the world to die for you, that you might live again through him. But here's the best part is, the, the, when, when I was a Sparky, I didn't memorize verse 17, Right? It was a part of the book, but I just never did it because it was clunky and big words and difficult to kind of conjure up. But after verse 16 comes verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. It's kind of a clunky phraseology, right? It, it, it doesn't flow as easily as, for God so loved the world. It's kind of this clunky sort of thing. But in the midst of our process, in the midst of what we try and understand about God, in the midst of our our journey together as a people, God will not condemn you in the midst of your process. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And so as a church, as a people, we want to hold verse 16 and verse 17 really tightly That as you go through your process, as you experience the things that you experience, as you ask some of the questions that you will ask, no matter how difficult, how outlandish they may seem, how out of left field, or how simple, you will not be condemned in this community for your questions. We want to hold your process tenderly. We want to hold you tenderly in the midst of this and journey together as a people. David White, the poet, said this. He said, The ability to ask beautiful questions often in unbeautiful moments is one of the great disciplines of a human life. The ability to ask beautiful questions often in very unbeautiful moments is one of the great disciplines of a human life. This is Nicodemus. Nicodemus. This is his story. This is his process. One of the most unbeautiful moments of destroying parts of the temple, of the temple courts, of running through and creating chaos and wreaking havoc, Nicodemus approaches Jesus with questions, beautiful questions, about what is life, about who are you, Jesus, and and where are you going and where are you taking us? What is this whole thing about? I love the story of Nicodemus, not just because... It provides us with this beautiful story of question, this beautiful story of process in that moment. But that John doesn't forget Nicodemus. Nicodemus pops up again in the story. In John chapter 7, Nicodemus shows up yet again. There's great division that is taking place over who this Jesus is. People are like, I think he's crazy. Uh, uh, the, the very first question that they ask is these people in Jerusalem are together. The first question they ask is, isn't, the man, isn't this the man they're trying to kill? And then in verse 30, just a few verses later, they tried to seize him. They tried to capture him and catch him because they were like, this Jesus is kind of off his rocker. He's doing things and he's saying things that we're not quite sure we agree with or believe in. In fact, just a few verses later, the Pharisees, the group that Nicodemus is a part of, tried to capture Jesus and arrest him. They they sent out the temple guards to arrest this Jesus. And then others said, surely this man is a prophet. Others said, no, 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 he's not a prophet. He's the Messiah. Later on, they say, no, 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 no. We think he's actually demon-possessed. We think he's a Samaritan, which for them is like this very derogatory racial comment. But here's Nicodemus. Nicodemus is in the middle of the fray. Nicodemus is in the middle of the discussion amongst all the Pharisees. And when the temple guards come back, they're like, uh, oh, we didn't really catch him. We didn't get this Jesus. The Pharisees, the, the, the council are like, why not? What, what do you believe about this Jesus? Have, have any, they said, uh, has he deceived you also? Ha, has Jesus deceived you as well, you silly temple guards? Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him, they asked, No, but this mob that knows nothing of the law... There is a curse on them. And Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? Nicodemus asks another question. He's still in process. I'm still not sure what I believe about this Jesus, but... I'm going to stand up for him just a little bit here, in the midst of this fracas, in the midst of this chaotic scene. I'm going, to, I'm going to stand up for him a little bit and just ask a simple question because I'm not sure where I'm at just yet. I'm not sure. And they replied derogatorily, "Are you from Galilee too? Look into it, and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee." They basically looked at Nicodemus and said, "Your process in trying to figure out who this Jesus is—you're an idiot. You're a fool." You obviously haven't done enough research, you obviously haven't done enough looking into our law to understand that a prophet can't come out of Galilee, and that's exactly where this Jesus comes from. So, you're a buffoon. That's not what we want to be as a church. That's not what we want to be as a community. We don't want to respond to others' questions, to others' uh, to others' investigation of who this Jesus is, of who this God is, no matter where they're at in their journey, no matter where they're at in this life, like the Pharisees do. But Nicodemus' story doesn't end there yet either. John carries this Nicodemus throughout the entire book, all the way to chapter 19, and the burial of Jesus After Jesus had been crucified, Nicodemus shows up with Joseph of Arimathea, and they take him off the cross. They ask for Jesus' body to go bury him. And here's what's beautiful and and, and quite fascinating and, 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 and stark in its reality is that when Nicodemus shows up, he shows up, John records it, he shows up with 75 pounds of burial spices. I mean, that's a lot. I would think, right? I, I don't know enough about the Jewish custom of burial to understand just how much that is, but I'm thinking like 75 pounds. I don't even know what in this room is 75. Maybe a pew, right? Like I don't know, but that's that's heavy, and I would think 75 pounds is a lot of burial spice. Pope Benedict, uh, a few years ago in one of his one of his tomes, he wrote this. He said the quality or the quantity of the balm is extraordinary and exceeds all normal proportions. This is a royal burial. That Nicodemus' bringing of 75 pounds of balm, 75 pounds of burial spice, is akin to a royal burial. Nicodemus' process is coming to some semblance of a conclusion here. Because if you remember, when Jesus was on the cross, they affixed at the top of it, King of the Jews, in a very derogatory sort of way. That was Pilate's command, that they they affixed this sign at the top of the cross. And here's Jesus, dead, being buried, and Nicodemus is stepping into that, saying, yes. Yes, this is a royal Burial. This is the king. I have come to some conclusion about who this Jesus is. And that's just the beginning for Nicodemus. We don't know the rest of Nicodemus' story. We don't know where he ends up. We don't know what his life looks like beyond this story. But we can believe that that is the beginning of a new life that he has stepped into a new life, a new journey, a new process of understanding Jesus in light of everything else. This is who we want to be as a people and as a community. Maya Angelou has said this about the epiphany. Today is the epiphany that we're celebrating. She said, it's the occurrence when the mind, the body, the heart, and the soul focus together and see an old thing in a new way. See an old thing in a new way. This is our process. This is what it is that we experience together when we journey as a people and trying to understand who this Jesus is, trying to figure out everything that there is to know about who He is knowing, that we'll never know it all. We'll never know it all. But together. We all have bits and pieces of the story that we get to push and pull and prod and poke and and collectively join together and understand this Jesus. That we too are still writing our own stories, both individually and collectively. That we are a people in process. We believe in your process. We are for you. We believe in your process. We believe that everyone is on a journey to understand who God is, our own identity at its core, the intricacies of relationship with one another and our own place in this world. This is what we are about. This is why we do what we do, is to explore, to question, to process together. It should go without saying that there's a great deal of trust in this. That we need to begin the work of trusting one another in our own processes. That it's not just something that we do by ourselves, but we trust one another with our own questions. We, we lay ourselves a little bit more vulnerable to our questions. We let people into our process and experience that together. And so there's a couple of things that I want to let you know. One is that we have a new tagline that we want to introduce. This is kind of the thing that is going to direct us moving forward. It's, you'll never walk alone. You'll never walk alone. We want you to know that here in this place, here in this community, here as a people, you'll never walk alone you have people that are here that want to journey with you, to process with you, to converse with you, not just for you, but for themselves as well. It's a give and it's a take in this relationship. It's not, it's not purely just a give-give relationship. I'm here for you, I'm here for you. No, 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 this is a give and take sort of thing that we get to process this back and forth. It's a push and it's a pull, a push and a pull as we come into this thing together. You'll never walk alone. But also, there's a double sort of meaning to this, knowing that you'll never walk alone because in the midst of your journey and in the midst of your process, as we sang earlier, the Holy Spirit is a part of that. The Holy Spirit is a part of that journey with you. And the Holy Spirit will help guide you and push you and pull you and prod you. And sometimes it might push you into relationship with other people within this community. It might push you and prod you and poke you into these things and into these places. You'll never walk alone. The challenge with this, the challenge with this, it's a lot to live up to. It's a lot to live up to. And there will be moments, there will be times that we as a people, that we as a church will fail one another. And it will be a very heart-wrenching and painful process where grace and forgiveness will need to abound, where apologies will need to take place in this push and in this pull. That we may not live up to this expectation all the time, but it's a process together, together, that we commit to, that we say, no, you'll never walk alone. And I know that if you'll never walk alone, I never will walk alone either. It's a process and it's a journey together. There are three things that I want to encourage you to do as a kind of, kind of as a takeaway sort of thing. Three things to begin to process. We're, we're going to be launching in a few weeks a new small group. It, it's a reunion group is what we're calling it. It's based on a book called Reunion, which is why it's a reunion book or a reunion group. The, there's a pastor named Bruxy Cavey in Toronto, Canada, who wrote a book called Reunion that is this, this kind of this journey of of helping people process through certain things. And the, the idea behind this group is that it wouldn't just be a solitary experience. It's only an 8-week sort of group, but that it would be something that we do and then we multiply and allow to invite other people into the process to teach us, to teach us together what this can look like. This process of never walking alone. This process of journeying with one another through difficult questions of faith and of who God is and of who Jesus is. And so I want to encourage you to begin to think about participating in that, of joining that group. And it'll launch later uh, this month. We'll we'll launch it later in January. And if that's something that you're interested in and you're like, okay, I'm I'm in right away, that's awesome. It's just go to unitedchurch.group. And there you can find that group and sign up, unitedchurch.group. A really easy, really simple sign-up process for that. And we'll discuss when that'll meet together as a people because we want to process those things together. It's not just a dictum like, hey, we're meeting on Wednesday nights at 3 p.m., right? That's not even at night. Well, it was a month ago. But I digress. Those sorts of things. We want to journey together in those things, making those decisions together and processing through these things over the course of an eight-week an eight-week experience. And so we want to make sure that it's a small enough group that we can participate well through these things. And so it's kind of a little bit limited space, but we'll see what that looks like. The second thing I want you to do is as you got together earlier, uh, before, before we started the message, you kind of started to meet some people. I want to encourage you to meet someone new that you have not met before when we, when we close out our gathering this morning. Meet someone that you have never met before. Trade numbers and actually go out and get to know them. Go out and sit down and hang out with them. We're a new church. We're, we're a new church. We've only been around since April. We're not even a year old. And so the, res, the result is we're still getting to know each other. We come from all different walks of life. We come from all different stations in life. We come from all different parts of the country. We have stories to share, processes to to experience and explore together. Get to know someone, just over a cup of coffee, maybe a lunch, something like that. So at the end of our gathering, trade numbers with someone, just one person, just, just one person. And the third thing is what Trevor is going to lead us into here in a moment. And as he comes forward to lead us in that, I want to take a moment and pray for our processes together as a people, but also for us as a community as we journey forward into this manifesto of why we do what we do. God, thank you so much for this morning and for the time that we have to gather together, to process together who it is that you are, to know that questions are okay, to know that that processing you is a a journey in our life. Father, may we be a people that are experiencing you on the regular. And may we be a people that aren't trying to do it alone, aren't trying to do it all by ourselves in a solitary sort of manner, but Father, that we are doing this with you and with others in this community. So Father, this morning, may you continue to bless our new church. May you continue to show us the ways in which you work in and through our lives. And may we be a blessing to one another. Father, it's in your son's name that we pray all of these things. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's homily. If you're in Seattle, we'd love for you to join us on Sundays at noon at 1316 3rd Avenue West in Queen Anne. If you'd like to support our efforts, please visit unitedchurch.gives to partner with us financially. Be in peace and God bless.